Podcast family, we're going to start off this episode with a quick clinical pearl and some heartbreaking statistics because we just got to put this thing into proper perspective. In 2020, addressing severe maternal morbidity was defined as a public health priority by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And the truth is, the reported incidence of severe maternal morbidity has more than doubled in the last decade. We're going in the wrong direction. Specifically of concern is that severe maternal morbidity is up to threefold increased for racial and ethnic minority compared with non-Hispanic white women. And still, as of 2022, postpartum hemorrhage remains the leading cause of preventable severe maternal morbidity and even preventable maternal mortality. What in the world does that have to do with our topic? Because the title of this episode is Epidural's Secret Gift. Well, truth is, it has everything to do with it. Did you know that a labor epidural, in addition to providing wonderful and well-accepted pain relief, may actually help reduce significant maternal morbidity? While a recent study published at the end of February 2022 in JAMA Open Network showed just that, and it wasn't the first to do so. So in this episode, we're going to highlight both of those publications, but focus more, obviously, in the one from February 2022, because this may be a easy way to decrease some health disparity that's very prevalent in labor and delivery. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Here's another clinical pearl, and especially if you're going for your American Board of OBGYN oral boards, these are hot topics right now, right? There's some key words that are always going to get traction, and you know they're going to ask you something about it. And one of those words or one of those terms is healthcare disparities. So here's a clinical pearl, because that hot topic of healthcare disparities is unfortunately real. Sadly, despite living in this fantastic country, and I love the country that I live in, I'm thankful that I'm here, but there is still, sadly, some real healthcare disparities. And this is especially true in our discipline as women's healthcare providers and advocates. Well, here's the important tie-in with epidurals. You see, it's very well documented that there's a lower use of labor neuraxial analgesia, in other words, epidurals, there's lower utilization that's been repeatedly reported among racial and ethnic minority groups. It's also lower in uninsured and low-income OB patients. While approximately 80% of non-Hispanic white women receive labor epidurals nationwide, only about 70% of non-Hispanic black women receive it and 65% of Hispanic women. Also, about 75% of pregnant women with a health insurance labor coverage also receive labor epidurals, but only 50% of uninsured pregnant women do. This represents a potential correctable and fixable healthcare disparity that isn't just about pain relief, but can also explain and help reduce healthcare disparity. Again, we're going to get into this tie between epidurals and healthcare disparity and maternal morbidity in just a minute because it's a link that's not so easily connected, but the data is there. 
Now, before we get into this JAMA study, I want to summarize three of the main myths that are out there regarding labor epidurals, because I know what you may be thinking. Hey, if somebody doesn't want it, I mean, what do I have to do with that? I mean, I'm not going to force them. And that's true. Labor can be managed by whatever the patient wishes, but sometimes they avoid effective medication more out of fear than out of facts. And that's where we do come in. Because as I've said before, one of the roles as a healthcare provider, whether you're a nurse or a PA or a physician or an MP, whatever, midwife, is that we should be educators. So let's cut to the chase and cover three of the most common myths regarding labor epidurals that are just that, myths. All right, myth number one. And I have to tell you, being in a Hispanic community myself, I know these things are out there because there's some weird stuff out there about epidurals. But thankfully, even the American Society of Anesthesiologists addresses these as myths on their website regarding labor epidurals. Here's the first myth. Epidurals can cause permanent back pain or paralysis in the mother. Now, yes, weird stuff has happened. And yes, hematomas can cause some weird neural damage. But this is really, really rare. The fact is, serious complications from an epidural, including paralysis, are extremely rare. Some women have discomfort in the lower back where the catheter was inserted for a few hours or days after the epidural, but it just doesn't last and it's not a chronic problem. Myth number two, don't get an epidural because that thing can actually harm the baby. What? No, they don't. Now, it's true you can have some peripheral vasodilation in the lower extremities due to the sympathectomy that the epidural functionally causes, and you can affect some uteroplacental blood flow, but that's actually rare now that patients get prehydration or pre-epidural IV fluid bolus load, and by putting them on their side, it's quickly fixable. The truth is there's no evidence that epidurals cause any sort of fetal harm, but yet, once again, that data is out there. There's actually also been some myths and some stories out there that the epidural actually resulted in cerebral palsy. Again, weird stuff can happen, but no, there's just no evidence or research to corroborate or to prove that epidurals cause cerebral palsy. And myth number three, don't get an epidural because that will totally slow down your labor or it increases your risk of C-section. Well, the fact is, and admittedly, this is a little controversial. Epidural and labor progress have had a love-hate relationship in the data for decades. Experts agree that denser blocks, historically given years ago, I'm talking about like two decades ago, may have affected earlier latent labor and may have increased use of oxytocin. But there's no real evidence that it actually increases the rate of C-sections. The data is also conflicting regarding epidural use in the second stage, with some articles showing no effect and other studies showing possibly a slight prolongation of second stage due to inability to push with an increase in vaginal operative deliveries. But even that is not 100% conclusive. And here's what's odd. Some studies have actually shown that use of epidural can actually help speed up labor by decreasing stress hormones and cortisol and letting the labor actually happen more stress-free and may allow more fetal descent because the pelvic floor muscles aren't being tonically contracted subconsciously by the patient. Now, here's a statement from the ASA, the American Society of Anesthesiologists, on their website, not from ACOG. Quote, There's no credible evidence that an epidural slows down labor or increases the risk of having a cesarean section. 
If a woman has a cesarean section, other factors usually are at play, including having a very large baby or slow progress of labor due to other uterine or contractile issues. In fact, there is evidence that epidurals may speed labor in the first stage for some women. End quote. Well, let's just leave it at that for now. Before we get into this February 2022 new article, I know we're talking about myths of epidurals, but I just think this is interesting. I want to do one more myth that's out there, not even about epidurals, just myths in general regarding pregnancy, because I think it's really remarkable what patients believe or what they choose to believe over medical fact and medical professionals. Because, for example, I've offered an intrauterine device or an intrauterine system, right, a Paragard or a Morena family device to some women. And they say, no, 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 because if it fails uh, and I get pregnant, I know I've heard that that baby has ended up with the IUD in its brain or it's happened. They found it in its stomach. What? No, they didn't. They did not. I promise you they did not because the IUD is extra membranous. It's outside the amniotic sac. It's not even in the same sac. It's weird what some people believe and what people tell when it's not even factual. But nonetheless, these weird myths and misperceptions are out there about a variety of things. But as it relates to what we're talking about here, unfortunately, misinformation and myths about epidurals predominantly in the Hispanic and African-American community, are just robbing women of a great option for pain relief because they're scared. Now, if they know the facts and they just don't want it, that's something different. That's their choice. But not wanting it because of, of a misconception or a misperception or a myth, I think that's just heartbreaking. This study from JAMA Open Network in February 2022 is not the first to show that labor epidurals can actually reduce significant maternal morbidity because it was another article not long ago that showed the same thing. Labor neuraxial anesthesia is, no question, the most effective technique to alleviate labor pain, and it's used, as we've already said, about 70% in birthing women all over the U.S., Use of neuraxial analgesia has been associated with reduced risk of severe postpartum hemorrhage, and it's that reduction in PPH that drives overall severe maternal morbidity down. One study analyzed vaginal births between 2004 and 2006 in France reported a 47% decreased risk of severe PPH. That's 47%. That study was originally published in Obstetrics and Gynecology in 2011. For women who received labor neuraxial analgesia compared with those who did not, the data was pretty clear. Now remember, this wasn't U.S., this was in France. And that's the catch. Because that article was not based on the U.S., and because maternal mortality ratios in the U.S. is twice the maternal mortality ratio in France and other high-income countries, these authors felt that they had to try to replicate this association here for us in the United States to try to decrease severe maternal morbidity. So I'm glad that they took a look at this data. To do this, they used the data from a large cohort of vaginal deliveries from New York hospitals. The objective of this study was to assess the association between labor neuraxial analgesia and severe maternal morbidity. So remember, this is not a prospective cohort study or some RCT. This is out of a database search, but it's still valid. 
This sample study included hospitalizations for vaginal delivery among women aged 15 to 49 years between 2010 and 2017. Now, the reason they went into this database query set is because some things are easier to study, like this, than going prospectively. Thankfully, PPH, although it's awful, just doesn't happen with every delivery, so it would take It will take several years to get this data prospectively. That's why going back to this database and mining it is acceptable. It still gives you valid information. If a woman in that year span had more than one delivery during the study interval, then only the first was included for the study. The primary outcome was severe maternal morbidity, according to the CDC's definition, which includes 16 maternal complications like heart failure and five interventions or procedures, including hysterectomy. This current study comprised over 575,000 women between the ages of 15 and 49, with a mean age of 28. They were undergoing their first vaginal delivery once again at New York State hospitals between 2010 and 2017. This was based on hospital discharge records. Overall, 69% of women were in the low risk group based on the comorbidity index for OB patients, and 30% were in the high risk group. Before weighing with the inverse propensity score, all right, let's cut to the chase. What did they find? Well, after doing the adjusted odds ratios, significant maternal morbidity linked to neuroaxial analgesia was 0.86. In other words, it reduced it. Remember that an odds ratio under one shows a reduction or a preventative or a reduction risk compared to numbers above one. Decreased risk of significant maternal morbidity connected to neuroaxial analgesia was comparable between non Hispanic white women and racial and ethnic minority women and between low risk and high risk women. What does that mean?、It、means it worked for everybody. Overall, 21% of the observed association of neuroaxial analgesia to significant maternal morbidity risk was mediated through decreased risk of postpartum hemorrhage. Now, remember, it wasn't like 80%, so there were other factors at play there, but 21% of the observed reduction in significant maternal morbidity was related to the decreased risk of PPH. So that was one of the biggest percent reductions. That they found. So, in this study of vaginal deliveries, remember we're talking about just vaginal deliveries, based in New York hospitals, labor neuroaxial analgesia was associated with a decreased risk of significant maternal morbidity, which was partially mediated through a decreased risk of PPH. Decreased risk of significant maternal morbidity was consistent across racial and ethnic groups and across different risk groups. How would this even work? I mean, how would a labor epidural decrease the risk of postpartum hemorrhage? No, it has nothing to do with uterine blood flow. It likely has to do with the fact that in women who have a labor epidural, then early evaluation and management of the third stage of labor and potentially quicker escalation of evaluation of the four T's remember that's tone, tissue, trauma, 
or thrombin or lack of thrombin, perhaps that can be done quicker in women with an epidural because they have better pain control. So we can be more aggressive in our search for lacerations. We can be more aggressive in our evaluation of potentially a retained clot or retained fragment of the placenta. And so it's thought to be that pain control allows for those quicker assessments to be done and allows for a more thorough evaluation than in someone who's hurting who doesn't have labor epidural pain control. But the authors are quick to point out that the decreased risk of PPH accounted for only 21% of the protective association of labor epidurals with significant maternal morbidity, indicating that there is some other mechanism linking labor neuroaxial analgesia with the decreased risk of severe maternal morbidity. But whatever it is, it works. And this is where, well, at least in theory, where we can try to close that gap in healthcare disparities that surrounds labor and delivery regarding maternal morbidity and mortality. Remember that postpartum hemorrhage is a leading driver of those two issues, morbidity and mortality. And if labor epidurals can help reduce that, then it's our job to give patients the proper information that an epidural doesn't just reduce your pain of labor and change your overall labor experience, but may actually help save your life. Now, if we give patients that information and they still decline, we have to honor that. That's part of patient autonomy. We can't force somebody to get something that they don't want. But a lot of the time, as we said before, they make the decision out of fear or out of prevalent myths or misperceptions. And it's our job as medical educators to try to get them to make a medically sound informed consent decision. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. We have summarized and highlighted an article published in JAMA Open Network. The title is Use of Labor Neuraxial Analgesia for Vaginal Delivery and Severe Maternal Morbidity. This came out at the end of February 2022. As always, we're thankful for you, and we're thankful for the messages that you send us. It keeps us encouraged, and you always give us great ideas for future podcast topics. So, as always, we appreciate you. We're thankful for you. Keep doing what you're doing. Stay encouraged, and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.